Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Divorce and Addiction, A Guide to Move Forward, visit www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. If you're going through a divorce, it's a prime time to go with your children, right? To, um, to do something outward focused and move away from all of the kind of angst that builds up in families that's very internally focused, but start thinking about other people and building empathy. And it's a wonderful way to take some of the pressure off that exists in divorces. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. So this episode's going to air right after the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. and the day before Giving Tuesday 2023, which is November 28th. So in the spirit of the holiday, I wanted to revisit a special episode called Sharing is Caring, How Philanthropy Can Help You Heal. In this special replay episode, I chat with Karen Yanis, who is, I love this, a self-proclaimed philanthropy Sherpa. And, you know, there's really just nobody better out there to talk to you about philanthropy and the power of giving. She was the executive director of the Oprah Winfrey Foundation and Oprah's Angel Network, if you remember those. Um, And in this episode, we discussed that incredible power of giving, which has that ability to take us outside ourselves, outside our own problems, and focus us on the healing power of doing something for others. It truly can change your life, even in the dark moments of a difficult time such as divorce. So I hope you had a wonderful holiday and that you're feeling generous tomorrow on Giving Day as you enjoy this special replay episode with Karen. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. Susan, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm a fan of this podcast. I think you do a fabulous job and it's such an important topic. 
combining philanthropy and um, and divorce and thinking about looking outside and having purpose in your life. Well, right. I mean, it, that's one of the reasons why this really resonated. You and I met through our mutual friend, Beth McCormick, who has also been a guest on the podcast several times um, at this point and is a, a very popular expert on the show. And the minute I started talking to you and about what you do with families and individuals, this, this Sherpa role that you take on, um, I, it's something that I wanted to bring to my listeners because, you know, as you and I were just talking about whether you have billions of dollars and are seeking to uh, uh, put it out there in the world in the most beneficial way, or you are someone who's, you know, counting your dollars every day. There's something about being able to give in some way that can make all of us feel better and do better in this world. So I think this is a really important topic and I'm, I'm ready and excited to dive into it. But let's start first with one of your philanthropies, something that is important to you. Um, in fact, you are the board chair of the foundation, the Poetry Foundation, um, and you help uh, shepherd them and the foundation's journey uh, forward in time. And one of the things that you wanted, you said you had, was a wonderful little poem to start us off with. So I'll turn it over to you. I do. I do have a poem. It's called When Giving is All We Have, and it's by Alberto Rios. And he starts by saying, one river gives its journey to the next. We give because someone gave to us. We give because nobody gave to us. We give because giving has changed us. We give because giving could have changed us. We have been better for it. We have been wounded by it. Giving has many faces. It's loud and quiet, big, though small, diamond in wood nails. Its story is old. The plot is worn and the pages too. But we read this book anyway, over and over again. Giving is first in every time, hand to hand, mine to yours, yours to mine. You gave me blue, I gave you yellow. Together we are simple green. You gave what you did not have, and I gave you what I had to give. Together, we made something greater from the difference. I love that. What a wonderful way to start. Fantastic. And so beautifully stated. I, I, I love that. I'm going to post the entire poem, if that's all right, Absolutely. in the show notes for people. That's wonderful. And it really is exactly what we want to talk about today, whether it's the, the melding of two colors into a brand new beautiful color, whether it's big giving or little giving, whether it's the giving we can do or the giving we didn't do. What a wonderful start. I, I want to um, touch on something you said before. You talked about people who have lots of money to give and people who have very little money to give. Giving is not just about money. Um, and regardless of how much you give or what assets you use. So we think about assets typically is financial assets, but we also have social capital and intellectual capital. We have time. We have the ability to be purposeful with lots of different tools. We can collaborate with other people. We can convene people to talk about issues. And those are the social change tools that really make a difference. 
Well, and, and that's so perfect. I know we're, you know, airing this episode right after Thanksgiving, which is a traditional time where many people will go and serve food, you know, for those who are less fortunate or who are unable to have a family meal or just want to be able to get together with others. And that's an idea and a concept that we can carry forth into the other 364 days of our year, right? And, and really gather more from that than we give, I think. And if you're going through a divorce, it's a prime time to go with your children, right? To, um, to do something outward focused and move away from all of the angst that builds up in families that's very internally focused, but start thinking about other people and building empathy. And it's a wonderful way to take some of the pressure off that exists in divorces. You know, I so love that you say that. We had an episode last year around the holidays about how to get through the holidays when it's your first year or two post-divorce and with your kids. And one thing we talked about was creating new traditions for your family and for your children. And think how powerful taking your children and, and donating time and effort and social capital, as you put it, I love that, um, just think about the power of that for your children as you create this new post-divorce uh, life for all of you. It's a wonderful, wonderful idea. And just to build on that, it can be done with children at any age, right? Um, there's, there are opportunities for children at a very young age to start learning about what's going on in the world and being proximate to all kinds of issues. And then there are other opportunities for children in middle school and in high school and college-age children. So there's, there's an opportunity to really build your relationships in a new way through philanthropy. Yeah. Well, and I think the earlier that we start, um, the, the better and, and the, the, because we see, I think, the benefits to ourselves and not that we should only do something because there's a benefit to us. But I will tell you, giving is almost addictive because of the positive feelings and the positive feedback and just the positive impact that you can have with what can be often very little effort on your part. Absolutely. And if you're going to do it in an organized way, and this is where the Sherpa piece comes in, finding someone who can help carry some of the baggage um, and help knock down some of the assumptions that family members have about each other so that you can make decisions in a really clearly defined way and a very structured way. And there's a lot of really great, um, absolutely phenomenal philanthropic advisors out there. Well, and let, let's start with that, because I think many people have absolutely no idea that 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 role in life, whether it be philanthropic advisor or philan philanthropy Sherpa, what is it that you do with people? Well, advisors have all different kinds of approaches. Some, some of them do back office operations for grant making. So they'll take care of your letter writing and your, um, you know, and, and your, your tax letters um, and your RFPs for whatever it is you want and help you develop a website. Um, I work on governance with families. So helping families understand how they're going to make decisions, how they're going to build strategy, how they're going to, to learn together. We create learning agendas and that, that elevates their ability to work. Um, sometimes it's across generations and sometimes family members don't even know what their, what their end goal is. And it takes a lot of conversation with other family members, with, um, with an advisor so that they understand what it is they want to accomplish. Um, I, 
I lecture at the University of um, Chicago Booth School in a private wealth management program. And every time I, I lecture, people from families come up to me and say, should we have a donor advised fund or a private foundation? And the question is really, what do you want to accomplish in the world, right? What's the first step? And thinking about what you truly care about and figuring out how to develop that and how you're going to make decisions around it collaboratively is, is the first really important step. Well, and that's, and, and we need guidance in that, right? You're talking about a world where most of us have really no, we think of maybe philanthropy as writing a check. I think that's how many, many people, and you've already pointed out there are many other ways that we can um, donate our time, our efforts, our wisdom, you know, uh, uh, many, a myriad of ways. But many people, it does have a financial aspect to it, but it, it's, we talked just a moment ago, it really isn't just give the money and it disappears out into the world. Just choosing where you would like to place your time, money, or effort um, so that you are effectuating the change that you'd like to see in the world is a huge part of philanthropy for most people. And we don't, face it, there are probably millions of charities out there. None of us knows all of them and, and the right way to, to find the right avenues for us. Absolutely. Um, there, there are an enormous number of charities. Um, many more, many charities um, became, uh, the, the IRS changed their rules after 9-11. So many more organizations became charities and a lot of them are very small and a lot of them are redundant. But before even looking for the organizations, my goal with clients and with families is to figure out what problem they want to solve in the world. What is it that they care about? Now, if you say that what you really care about is education and healthcare, um, anyone can send you a request for money because that's so broad. But if you say what you really care about is youth mental health, then that's a very narrow, um, a narrow focus on both education and healthcare. Um, and you can start to very carefully learn about what's available in that space and maybe even change the nature of the, the work that's being done in, in that space. But after you've spent some time learning what's being done and bringing people together, um, my, my goal with families is to not be prescriptive but to do as much learning about what's been done already and then think about how to how to create solutions to existing problems. Right. So it's something similar to my listeners who are out there who are sort of moving through the divorce journey. I'm always talking about, you know, you have to take a pause at the beginning of the process, not just jump in and willy-nilly start doing things because you really end up wasting a lot of effort and in many cases, making poor decisions because they were uneducated or unsupported. It's really a time to first take a deep breath and get educated. And that's a lot of what you're talking about. You know, and I like to say that there's no natural predators in philanthropy. Um, the, the, the IRS is, a, um, you know, is, is one, but if you don't have good advisors um, and your advisors aren't watching your compliance levels, then you've got a problem. But um, the, one of the one of the things that really keeps people in checks and balances is reputation, mm -hmm. right? If you're if you're out there with your own name and you have some significant funds to put towards philanthropy, um, moving too fast can really create problems for you. And so, the more you learn, if, if your goal is to be a part of a solution and um, and then bring people on board, you're more likely to do that if you do it very methodically. And you spend time learning, getting to know who else is funding in the, in the field in that space, um, what solutions have been put forward, 
bringing experts together for conversations and convenings. Um, all things that are really easy to do for, fa- for families. If they know the, the path or if they have their Sherpa, um, as we just spoke if, about. And I have to say, this is, this is bringing to mind for me just an experience that I was lucky enough to have is um, a, a friend of mine many years ago now, I think we're 16 or 17 years into it, um, unfortunately found out she had multiple myeloma. And at the time, there was absolutely no research on that that disease. Um, and so she and her sister started the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation and have become one of the leading cancer foundations um, research. And, and that's beyond multiple myeloma because they've done exactly what you said. They've worked in a very um, methodical and well thought out way. And they've found the other thinkers and doers in the, in the area of cancer research and brought it all together so that different types of cancer research can come together in a consortium, which they've also established. So, you know, I've, I've watched it over the 15, 16 years. And in fact, Kathy Juste, who is the founder with her sister, um, you know, she's probably still with us today because of the research that was done by her foundation. I, lo- I love that example in, in part because it wasn't named the Juicy Foundation, right? Or it wasn't, it wasn't named for her. And so many families, when there's um, something heartbreaking, a, a disease that affects the family or a lost child will name a fundraising organization, a public charity after the child raise money initially um, and then the foundation just sits there for a long time and it's expensive because it's got to be maintained by, by an attorney and it's, um, and it may not be doing very much. So before setting up a public charity like that in someone's name, being able to find out what's out there already and where those dollars can be most effective, um, and whether or not they're organizations that are already set up. It's, a, it's, Feels like a good way to memorialize someone, but there are a lot of other other great ways to memorialize someone. Um, and understanding what the field looks like first can make a huge difference. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really key point. You know, if there are other people in the area who are already doing it, finding a way that you can work with them or support them. Exactly. Um, Kathy and Karen didn't have that because MMRF. Um, and multiple myeloma weren't well known at that time. So I just see that as, you know, a, a true vision. And I'll link to MMRF um, in the show notes. But that's a true example for me, anyway, of the just the, the absolute power of giving. And certainly my husband and I have donated uh, money to the organization over the years. But much more of our effort has been sitting on some of the planning committees for the events and, and donating, you know, my husband's company has donated things for the silent auctions and things like that. There's always a way that you can be supportive, but let me ask you, let me sort of back up a bit because now we're talking about, you know, one individual charity and I don't want to just do that here. What's the intersection of philanthropy with divorce? Because I know I have listeners out there saying, yeah, that sounds great, but we're trying to figure out who's going to get what in our divorce. Where does philanthropy come in? So there are, there are a couple of different intersections, and one is really in the process of getting divorced. Um, families with really significant assets often bring someone like me into the, into the process to talk about what it would mean to build a family foundation. So the negotiation may be who sits on the board or does the family, does the philanthropic, do the philanthropic dollars go to one spouse or the other spouse? Um, how, how are the children involved? 
um, what's what's the design of the foundation. And it may not form exactly at that moment, but the kernel starts to to form and a decision can be made about the amount of money that's put towards a, a foundation or another source like a donor advised fund. Right. And that's I as someone who has worked on some ultra high net worth cases in the past, people with very, very large um, marital estates, you know, it, someone in your role, I've actually not had the benefit in the past. Most of the families I've worked have had foundations already in place. So we've worked with their current advisors. But that idea for those families out there who have the benefit of having this type of uh, tool available to them as they move forward in the future, having someone like you to guide the process with that long view for what the whole right. family would like to achieve, including the divorcing couple, can be a really impactful part of the divorce process. Hi, listeners. I wanted to let you know that the Divorce and Beyond website is a great place to visit if you're looking for more support and information as you move through your divorce and beyond. We have links there to all the latest episodes. We have the full show notes and links from the most recent episode. There's a sign up for the weekly newsletter, and we have lots of freebies and downloadable resources for you. We even have a divorce topics page where we have broken down the episodes by topic so that you can find the episodes that are on point to your issue of interest. There are pages on episodes on financial topics, children and divorce, high conflict divorce, and more. So visit the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com and find exactly what you're looking for. And now we return to today's show. Many ultra high net worth families have multiple sources of, of philanthropic capital um, and, and don't necessarily know it. So w- one tool that, that I use, and I think some other advisors use, is I create a philanthropic asset map um, with a family to understand what is it that they have. Do they have a private foundation? Do they have trusts? Are there endowments at universities or at hospitals in someone's name in the family? They may, may no longer be receiving money, but they're still there. Are there, um, are there things in museums that are named for the family or in hospitals? And putting all that information together, as families grow, it's eye-opening for them so that they can understand what's there, just like you might take a look at all the assets in a divorce, right? But the difference is, instead of inward-facing and saying, okay, this belongs to me, it's outward-facing, getting the family to say, all right, we're not going to focus all the time on what's tearing us apart. We're going to focus on what we can do for the rest of the world. And building up that purpose and that energy is so powerful and can really take someone away from feeling bereft and make them feel empowered. Yeah, I think that is a very critical point I want to emphasize for people because it's that you know power of giving. And at a point in time when you are feeling as at odds as you might be from your spouse, this is actually a point in time where you can go back to remind yourselves of those shared values that you still have. And very importantly, what you just said, the shared values that you would like to pass on to your children and, and gender and your children and your philanthropy is a very powerful way to do that. And there's another piece to this too, and that's estate planning. So when, when there's a divorce and we know that the children are going to be well cared for, 
and don't necessarily need any additional funding from the mother's estate or the father's estate, there's the opportunity to say, all right, what role does philanthropy play in estate planning? And what's plan A and what's plan B? Once the family has codified its values, um, and so often, especially working with college age, high school and college age students, what comes up is that the values are the same as the values of the parents and the grandparents. They're just contextualized differently. So thinking about you know, what does it mean to take those family values and bring them into the 20, um, you know, the 21st century, the, the 2030s, not just the 20s, but the 2030s and the 2040s. Well, and I know another thing that you truly believe is that philanthropy can play a role in helping someone to heal really in that, you know, from the trauma of a particularly difficult divorce. And it it made me think of an Abraham Lincoln quote um, that I love is to ease another's heartache is to forget one's own. And that's, that's so powerful, but so true. So, you know, what are your thoughts? It's so true because if you're able to get outside of your own angst and your own trauma and start to think about other people, it, um, it makes an enormous difference. And a much smaller piece of your day is devoted to, well, what did I lose as opposed to what do I have to do? And, um, you know, there are 45,000 organizations that focus on women and girls and the Women's Philanthropy Institute, which I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of. And we can post some of the data, some of their dashboards in your episode notes as well. Um, there are 45,000 organizations that, that focus on women and girls, and they're mostly very small. That's only 3.3% of all of nonprofits. Um, and of all of those organizations and that giving, only about 1.6% of total giving, and there was $475 billion given last year, only 1.6% goes to organizations that are focused on women and girls. But the Women's Philanthropy Institute research also shows that parents, mothers and fathers who give have have children, both daughters and sons who also give, but that, that their daughters are affected even more than their sons are. Um, and that when they can watch their parents give, and it's not just money again, it's time, right? And it's in, in large part, it's kindness. It's thinking about other people and how you can help other people move to that next level. Uh, well, I I will absolutely have links to all of those um, the the women's philanthropy um, is it philanthropy institute women's philanthropy institute it's part of um, Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and um, so it's an institute that just does research on giving to women and girls and their reports and their dashboards are phenomenal. Oh, we're absolutely going to link to that, and I'm a little blown away by what a small portion of charitable giving goes to organizations that benefit women and girls. 64% of women who give, give in, engage in, in, in their communities um, and give inside their communities, strengthening their community. And that's a very different stat than how, how women and men give together as couples or how men give. So women are very focused on making sure that their communities are strong and healthy. And we certainly saw that during COVID. You know, when there were so many people in our communities who were really suffering because they didn't have, they didn't have jobs to go back to, or they didn't have the benefits that they had before. So there were, there was a lot of giving during COVID that was very specific to, um, to strengthening communities. Yeah. And you think about that, it makes me think about, um, 
When I first moved to Chicago here now three years ago, we went through a delightful polar vortex and where the temperatures dropped to literally like 30 to 50 below zero. And there was one woman, I remember it so clearly on the news, who just thought, you know, there are people, homeless people on the street who who can't be out in that kind of weather. And she went out with her own credit card and just rented hotel rooms and, and made a huge difference, probably saved lives with her own just grassroots or, you know, organization. So there's always something you can do to help. And, and that, you know, strengthening the community, um, helping those around you. You know, when you think about giving, you think about the tax exempt piece to it, and that's not a tax exempt thing, right? So that right. wouldn't have been classified in that $475 billion um, dollars in, in 2021, which is really interesting, but it's no less philanthropic, right? Maybe even more so. Actually, right. Definitely not doing it for any at least monetary gain um, because there is that tax benefit for especially for families of wealth, that can be um, a driving factor or at least a piece of the puzzle. Um, maybe not a driving factor, but a piece of the puzzle for families. What can you do now, right? And and thinking thinking about what you can do. Um, there was a, about ten years ago. There was a, um, a, a YouTube by a fellow who worked for the Acumen Fund, Sasha Dichter, and it was called the Generosity Project. And he gave himself a year, and he said, um, "I'm going to give." every time someone asks me. So if someone's on the street or someone reaches out to me on the train, and I was so engaged with this, I called him afterwards and I said, so what happened? And he said, well, you know, the jury's out, but I felt better. I think it says it all right there. And in fact, this is making me think, and I'm just going to encourage my listeners out there who are listening to this podcast episode. It is the day before Giving Tuesday. And as Karen has pointed out, it does not have to be money that you give. But what I'm going to ask you all is send me a quick email to divorceandbeyondpod at gmail.com and tell me what you did for Giving Tuesday. And I'm going to read off your name and, and give you a shout out on the podcast in a special episode because I want to encourage everybody to make themselves feel better by doing something for others. So just let me know, divorceandbeyondpod at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Um, you know I'm all over LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. So just let me know, folks, because I want to applaud you for what you do for others. Susan, I love that. What a, what a great way to engage your listeners. But I want to take it a step further and say, thinking about systemic change is something that creates legacy. So you can help people get housed for a short period of time. But if in your community there's a problem with homelessness, there are communities in the United States that have actually solved the homelessness problem and have net zero homelessness. So finding those communities and learning what's been done and what can be done to solve problems is something that is systemic legacy building and that anybody can do. Well, it reminds me of the, what is the proverb? Um, give a man a fish and he eats for a day teach a man to fish and he'll eat for, or he'll have food forever. Or I'm not saying it properly, but. No, but then there's another piece to that, which is stock the pond, right? Or, um, true. Or make sure that there's, that there's an opportunity for water to continue to flow into the pond. So there's lots of ways to look at that proverb, right? And different times to enter and create change the way you can. And all of this goes back to just what you were talking about at the very beginning is there are just so many ways to help, but if we have some 
some thought and guidance and put some planning into how we help others, we can actually have more of an impact. And that's very much what you're helping your families and individuals do as you help guide them through this process. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so absolutely. I think about it as sacred work. I think it's sacred work. Well, and, and something, you know, I, I would imagine you feel uh, blessed to be able to help the families or individuals, but, you know, help people help. Um, your your day-to-day life is philanthropy in a way. Absolutely. But also you continue to learn. I mean, how wonderful is it to just be able to learn every day um, what's happening to be proximate to different kinds of communities, to have access to research, to, to be able to think writ large about what we can do to leave a better world for the next generation. And we live in a time right now where people you know, could use a little hope and could use a little positive um, thought about the future. So there are ways we can actually impact that. And one thing I don't want us not to have time for, so I want to jump to this, is there are some really amazing women who have done incredible things with philanthropy. And of course, I know some people will immediately think of uh, Melinda Gates, the Gates Foundation, uh, Mackenzie Scott, formerly Mackenzie... Bezos. I don't know if she ever actually used the name, but um, you have some some wonderful stories to share with us, and I I think they're going to uh, to help people see just what can be done. Melinda Gates and Lorraine Paul, um, Powell Jobs, Mackenzie Scott, Mackenzie Scott, and um, and Melinda Gates are both divorced. Yes, right. And philanthropy has played an enormous role, and Mackenzie Scott, both of them actually have disrupted the philanthropic the technology philanthropic sector in dramatic ways by moving money more quickly and by, by funding organizations that are focused on women and girls. People didn't fully understand what Mackenzie Scott was doing. She put an enormous amount of money into, um, into the field, but she actually did her research before she did that. And she funded organizations that were solid, that um, had a track record of doing really good work and has elevated research and has elevated services for um, for underserved people, has elevated the is- issues around equity, and Melinda um, Gates has done the same thing. And Lorene Powell Jobs, through the Emerson Collective, has also done that. Now, when we think about structures, Emerson Collective is an LLC. It's not a foundation. So it gives her a lot more opportunities to invest in things than she might have had because of some of the constraints on, on um, tax-exempt funds. Um, but then there are also people like Wangari Matai, who was born in Kenya in 1940, um, was given an advantage because the Kennedy transport brought Kenyans to the United States for education. So she studied in the United States, went back to Kenya, didn't have a lot of money, and she started planting trees. And she ended up creating something called the Greenbelt Movement and planting millions of trees in Africa and ended up getting the Nobel Prize in 2004. So the the Nobel Peace Prize. So there are Women who come at philanthropy, not with a lot of financial resources, but with a lot of energy and determination and do amazing things. I mean, I, there, there's a, a you know, complete broad spectrum, as you, as you mentioned, Melinda Gates, Mackenzie, Scott, famously divorced, right? That's all we ever heard about in their divorces. But I will note, you know, I do a headlines episode every month, just rounding up some of the high profile divorce and post-divorce cases in the news. And both of those ladies, since their divorce, if you want to, their husbands have perhaps been in the news because of their girlfriends and, you know, the what they 
they just bought the new super yacht or everything. Those two ladies, what you see them in the news for are the enormous amounts of money that they are putting into good works and into philanthropy. Um, and, and as you pointed out, on a really expedited time frame, which has been really spectacular, I think the Bezos divorce was just a year ago at this point, and she's donated... I believe it's 12, 12 billion, 12, 12, 12 billion. billion. I was going to say in the billions, it's well into the billions. So whether you have billions or whether you have zero dollars to donate, to put into philanthropy, um, we all have something that we can give. I know just uh, last month, um, as this airs last month, um, I was at an event here in Chicago, Rainbows for All Children, which is my, my listeners have also heard me speak about. Beth McCormick is very involved um, with that charity. And we just did an event where you know, I just came and, and sat on a panel and tried to give some information to people to benefit them at that event. So we all have ways we can help. I'm really excited to see what my listeners do after listening oh, yeah. to this episode. I'm, I'm super excited for this. But I want to make sure, you know, for those out there who want that guidance, who need a Sherpa as they climb the mountain, and I think now can see you know, it's not just writing a check. There's a great deal that can go into this and can benefit you and your children during this divorce process, beyond divorce. What's the best way to get in touch with you, find out more about what you do and how you help guide people? Um, My website is um, www.crolandconsulting.com. And um, I I have a boutique business, but know lots of people who are in this field. And I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to reach out and hear what their circumstances are, what their situation is, and may recommend the, you know, the right connection for them in this space or, or provide some ideas. So I'm happy to take calls and, um, and can be reached at Karen at CrolandConsulting.com. And Crowland is C-R-O-L-A-N-D Consulting.com. Well, I will put both the website and your email in the show notes. And I just I thank you in advance because that's a wonderful um, resource for people. You are a wonderful resource for people. And you also have a special offer for people going back to that beautiful poem that you started this episode with. And I remind everyone, I will put it in the show notes. Um, but you have a wonderful offer for everyone for the from the Poetry Foundation. Poetryfoundation.org. Um, is is the website, and they can get twenty um, a twenty dollars subscription, which is about half off of the subscription to Poetry Magazine. And one of the things you know, we've talked a lot about direct service and helping people. We've talked about homelessness, talked a little bit about mental health. Layering the arts on top of all of that really raises all boats because the arts are so healing. And we also talked about post traumatic healing, um, engaging in the arts and using the arts to help other people is such a fabulous way to, to elevate everybody. So think about, um, think about theater arts programs for homeless youth or youth with mental health. Poetry does that as well. And it's an opportunity for poets to learn more about poetry, for teachers to learn more about how to teach poetry, you know, and for youth to become involved and feel more empowered. Yeah, well, and just think back, listeners, to how you felt when Karen read that poem at the very beginning of this episode, I will I will say I think you're the first and only guest who has recited a poem in an episode 
And in that moment in time, it opened up something in me. It made me excited, even more excited for this episode and opened up my mind just in that moment to the power of giving, the power of gift. And, and so I, I'm so excited for this episode to air. I can't wait to hear what all my listeners do as they are inspired by you and all your good work. Um, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you to you for all that you do in helping people, helping families families um, in this this area really have the best the biggest impact the best impact they can have um, in the world of philanthropy so thank you and Susan I'm going to throw that back at you because you're providing a platform for healing for lots and lots of people and it's so important having gone through a divorce myself I I know um, and it's just an, an incredibly valuable asset. So it's philanthropic in its own right. Oh, well, thank you. It's one of the things I, I love to help people. I've been divorced myself and have helped so many people in 30 years plus of doing this. And so I, you know, an episode like this is exactly why I do what I do. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.